Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set a rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures of every kind. Sorry. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. When the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember this everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign I have established between me and all life on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gospel reading comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 15. The baptism and testing of Jesus. At that time, Jesus came to Naz from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. Jesus announces the good news. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. God, help us to listen to your word this morning. Reveal to each of us what it is that you need to reveal to us. Help us to be attentive and help us to leave this place with on fire with your word, Lord. Amen. When I was 17, I went to Canada on a canoeing expedition, and I spent two weeks paddling around the Canadian wilderness. In that time, we saw two other small groups whilst we were there, at a distance. But other than that, we were totally alone. We were remote. We were isolated. Now, we had a satellite phone in case we needed an emergency extraction, but other than that, we were totally self-reliant. And it took two years to get to the stage where, as a group of eight of us, we would be safe enough to be in that wilderness, 
two years of training trips, two years of first aid training, of practicing canoe rescues in white water, preparing ourselves for the worst. In Mark's gospel, we are told that Jesus goes into the wilderness, but he is sent by the Spirit at once. There's no time for Jesus to prepare, no two years of training trips of Jesus learning what he might need to know to survive in the wilderness. Unless, of course, we see his baptism by John as all of the preparation that Jesus needed. And in a way, it is, because baptism is important. It is a matter of salvation. I don't think we can underestimate how much we need people to be baptised, how we ourselves, as believers of Christ, need to be baptised, whether that is as a baby or choosing to be baptised as an adult. The Church of England recognises this importance and it says in its canons, which are the legally bit of the Church of England, that no minister shall refuse or, save for the purpose of preparing or instructing the parents or guardians or godparents, delay to baptise any infant within his cure. Or, in other words, priests can never, ever refuse to baptise somebody but only to delay. And even then, that delay is only for teaching about baptism, for teaching about the promises that somebody is about to make, for uh, a baby that is talking to the parents and the godparents, for an adult it is talking to the person who is about to be baptised. When we are baptised, we have these powerful words spoken over us. Christ claims you for his own. Christ claims you for his own. When Jesus was baptised, he had that same claim. It was made by God who said, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. That public claim of God on Jesus' life was all the preparation time that Jesus needed before going into the wilderness, but it was all the preparation he needed. He was fully equipped from God straight away. And there is an urgency at the start of Mark's gospel, in fact, throughout all of Mark's gospel, which is both the shortest gospel and the earliest gospel, because the story of Jesus needs to be told. And it needs to be told at speed. None of this waiting around, none of this peppering out, padding out stories. Mark has a mission to tell us about Jesus, our saviour. Jesus has changed things and nothing will ever be the same again. When we heard our reading this morning, it's as if there is no break, no pause between Jesus being baptised being claimed by God, being sent into the wilderness, and then 40 days later, beginning his ministry. It's a go, go, go right from the start. 
And today is our first Sunday in Lent, which began, of course, on Ash Wednesday. We're at the beginning of our 40 days of fasting, and that both reminds us of Jesus's time in the wilderness, and it also invites us into our own experience of wilderness. For our own wilderness experiences, we don't need to travel to Canada. We don't need to go on a canoeing expedition because we all have times of spiritual wilderness. I think it's naive to say that we don't. And so I wonder this morning as you're sat here, what your experiences of wilderness might have been. Perhaps like me, they have been literal going to somewhere remote, being in a wilderness. But perhaps you have experienced a spiritual wilderness. Perhaps you are in one right now. A time where God feels more distant and further away. For some, that wilderness can come at a time of bereavement. For others, when there is a big life change. Sometimes it is crystal clear why you are in a season of spiritual wilderness. But for many others, it can seem like there's no reason at all. You continue doing what you have been doing, the things that have spiritually enriched you, that have given you a relationship with God. Praying, going to church, reading your Bible, but suddenly God might seem distant. This time of spiritual wilderness is a tough time in which we endure spiritual afflictions. A time when, like Jesus, it might feel as if Satan is tempting us with unwise choices and unwise actions. And I think it's important to look at Jesus's time in the wilderness especially how it's portrayed in Mark's gospel. It's not a polite, theological, sit-down conversation with the devil where they discuss all sorts of big and complex ideas, but instead it is a 40-day life-or-death spirit, sorry, life-or-death struggle in a place of vulnerability, in a place of physical vulnerability, Jesus is also engaged in a time of spiritual vulnerability. Wild animals show up. Angels wait upon him. And the temptation that Jesus faces in Mark's gospel isn't words, but an an apocalyptic struggle that Jesus survives. And I think often if we are in a time of spiritual wilderness, it can feel similar that sort of apocalyptic, life or death, really important struggle that is born out of a time of vulnerability. But just like Jesus in his time in the wilderness, we are not alone in these seasons of struggle, in these seasons of wilderness. God is with us. And for me, I think that that is one of the most important things that comes out of observing Lent spiritually. So it's not just the giving up of something, the giving up of chocolate or cheese or both. 
but replacing that thing, that fast, with God and replacing it wholly with God. Because the temptation that Jesus faces in Mark's gospel isn't one that's leading us from a chocolate to a non-chocolate temporary existence for seven weeks, but it is something that calls us to imagine a holy disruption that's grounded in the longing that God has to see things right. It invites us to be partakers of the radical upending of the kingdom of God. We have these wonderful, wonderful examples, stories. The kingdom of God is like. And I think Lent invites us into that time to work out what the kingdom of God is like for us. This Lent, I am going to try and really think about that cosmic battle, that holy disruption that was created by Jesus' birth established by his time in the wilderness and is lived out through Jesus's death and resurrection. I think sometimes we, I, can be uncomfortable talking about Satan and recognizing the power that those spirits have. But that's Jesus, that's why Jesus came. Jesus faces Satan face on. And Jesus shows us that holy disruption through um, winning over Satan, through winning over death. And so this holy disruption challenges it, challenges us. It challenges not only how we choose to live, but it challenges our understanding of what it actually means to live. So... I believe that everybody faces a spiritual wilderness at some point, a time of holy disruption and challenge. But it's what we do in these moments that define us. Because we are followers of Christ. We are followers of God. And I think when we take into account our Old Testament reading, that we should be prepared, like Noah, to follow God's commands however unusual they might seem at the time. Because God makes a covenant that lasts from Noah through Jesus to us here this morning. And that covenant is that God will not desert us. God's covenant is a covenant of promise, which means according to the traditions of the Hebrew Bible, that if this covenant is, is broken, it will be God that takes the curse upon God's self. So God will not leave us. God is with us everlasting and all creatures of every kind on the earth. There is a biblical tradition or even just a sort of a wider human tradition of looking to the sky when we think of God. And I know that if I ask my children where God is, they would point up to the sky. And I wonder if I ask you to point to where you think God is, where you might point. But when we think about God being placed somewhere high or above us, it sort of uh, makes sense in the context of our reading this morning, because God places a bow, a rainbow in the sky, 
as a sign of his covenant with us, a sign of his promise to not destroy us. And equally, when God claims Jesus after his baptism, Mark tells us that heaven was torn open and the spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. So here's the thing. Our brains, certainly our childish brains, might situate God as being somewhere up there. But God is not. God is with us. And we see this in our two readings. In Mark's gospel, God's spirit descends. It goes down onto Jesus like a dove. And in our reading from Genesis, the word bow, which certainly I think to be synonymous with a rainbow, can also mean an archer's bow. A bow which is no longer going to be used as an implement of war or destruction or death, but a bow that is a sign of peace. A sign of peace and a sign of connection. A connection between us and God. Our readings are readings of transformation. Jesus is transformed by his baptism and by his time in the wilderness. And this is God's offer to us at Lent, that as we lean on God, as we trust on God in times of fasting, we invite God to break through the heavens, to change for us and to change with us, to transform us. Our times of spiritual wilderness can often be transformative for us, although they might not feel it at the time. But that is our task today and for Lent, to look for the coming of God's kingdom here on earth and to be transformed. And so here we are, 40 days of spiritual transformation. Let's see where we are come Easter. Amen.